I want you to do a little uh, participation with me today, and we'll do it a few times, but I want you to get the scripture memorized, okay? 3311, it says this, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Can you say that? The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Repeat it. The plans of the Lord stand The purposes of his heart through all generations. All right, now we're going to say it like we mean it and like we believe in it. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And the purposes of his heart through all generations. All right, well, that's what we want to talk about today. And uh, we're going to begin doing that by turning in our Bibles to, to the Gospel of John, if you have them with you. It's the New Testament book of John. We will be putting the scriptures up there for you, so if you don't have your Bible today, it's okay. We will let you see the scriptures like that. Um, always encourage you to bring your Bibles, but it's totally okay if you didn't today. And just as you turn there, I will take another drink and we will get it going. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this uh, little this story of Jesus that the gospel and uh, that the uh, John wrote. And it, it's the first miracle of Jesus. That's what we're beginning with today. And it's just my hope and prayer that as we begin to surface through this, this, this miracle and then kind of survey some of the other parts of the Bible, we can see that uh, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever and the purpose of his heart goes through all generations. And so if you will, we're just going to break down this, this little passage verse by verse, and then we'll just hit it running. And then um, I must say, I mean, if the cat's away, the mice are going to play, okay? Brett's gone, so we'll get out of here in a great, great time this morning and uh, have, have a great Sunday. No. <laughs> but yeah, we will, we will just, yeah, we'll get on it. So starting in verse 1 of second chapter. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. A couple things I just want to point out, just to help biblical education and whatever, uh, just bring some highlight, highlight some things. It says, on the third day, and that's interesting because all he's doing is just making calendar notes for, for the readers. And so when we see on the third day, What's neat is uh, if, if we look earlier in Gospel of John, which is just only one chapter, we see it's Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. And when he calls his disciples, he calls a guy named uh, Philip. And Philip goes and gets his buddy, buddy Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, hey, the Son of God is here. Come follow him. Nathaniel is like, I, I don't believe it. I mean, he's from Nazareth. Is, can anything good come from West Terre Haute? I, I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? No, I really, okay. So can anything good at all come from Nazareth? Uh, Nathaniel want to believe it. And Philip, what does he say? He says, or yeah, Philip says, come and see. Beautiful little three words, come and see. Well, Nathaniel goes, he meets Jesus, and if you looked in the scriptures a couple pages back, you would see that after a brief encounter, Nathaniel clearly says, you are by far the son of God, Rabbi, um, and he decides to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus tells Nathaniel, hey, it's only beginning. He says, 
Nathaniel, you're going to see even greater things than this. So now here we are, two days later, we're in Cana in Galilee, which is actually Nathaniel's hometown. So what's really neat is he's just really starting to reveal to Nathaniel, yeah, a lot of good can come from Nazareth. So, and then it says, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And so this wedding is at a home, apparently some relationship of Nathaniel or Jesus, most likely Jesus because of Mary's involvement with the wedding, as we'll see. Now, let's just don't miss this. I just want to point out a few more things about the disciples and Jesus. I think a lot of times we start to think about the disciples and we just think like it's the superstar team. I like the thought of them being invited to a wedding because it just puts a little more humanness to them. You know, it's like, okay, these guys had relationships. I mean, you don't invite strangers to an intimate wedding, do you? No, you invite friends and, and close relatives and so forth. So these guys had relationships. And for Jesus to be intentional to go to this wedding is, is kind of strange because we, we're seeing that Jesus is just beginning the ministry that his father has prepared him, him to launch. So for Jesus to take time and go to this wedding highlights the fact that there's close relationships, but that there's also, later we can see, reading back now, that there's probably a divine purpose starting to swirl in the air, that something needs to finally start happening with Jesus as he goes into a public place of, of people that he could do something with or reveal something about. And I also just want to point out for the, the visitor this morning or the person not too uh, sure about what Jesus Christ is about. Later on, we find out that Jesus had to allow the disciples to, to allow the children to come to him. He's telling the disciples, hey, it's okay, let the kids come to me. Well, we know kids, I mean, the honest is, kids aren't attracted to cranky people. And, and moreover, kids kids are a good judge of character and so if kids want to go hang out with somebody most of the time there's probably something a little attractive or something is fun calling them out if they are wanting to come to Jesus so it's just kind of neat to see hey Jesus had something going on with relationships with with little kids and what do we find out even later in scriptures he got in trouble for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors so some people say he wasn't attractive by sight but However, he was attractive somehow socially. He could relate with all kinds of different people. Very, very good lesson for what the Christian should be uh, or try to examine and, and follow through and, and mingle with everybody. However, so it's not surprising that Jesus would want to go to a wedding and have a good time. And then after all, Jesus, God, created weddings, right? In Genesis 2, we find out that man's going to leave the father and mom and, and woman is too. They're going to unite, hook up as one, and, and leave and cleave and, and be together uh, forever. He, so, of course, he's going to enjoy coming to a wedding now on earth and seeing, ah, my creation. How beautiful it is to see a celebration of a man and a woman uniting and joining in life. And then in Revelation, we see at the end of all days, what's going to happen. It's going to be a wedding. It's going to be a feast of of Jesus and the church, the bride, us, meeting with him. This past Thursday, uh, Stephanie and I, we were able to celebrate our, our wedding anniversary. It's been four years now. And 
uh, which I know I have so much respect for so many of you uh, long marriages. Um, not, four must seem, oh, that sounded bad, really bad. I, <coughs> it's inspiring to see that, that the marriages. Um, yeah, we've had a great four years. And, uh, but of course, you know, anniversary, at least we do, we like to re you know, replay everything, just talk about the day, like, oh man, we were so nervous here, this, what time is it, we were doing this, and replaying everything. But the thing, I mean, I will never forget about the summer we got married is there were six weddings that we had to attend before ours. Um, ours was August 2nd, and so just the short summer before that, we had six weddings to, to, to go to, four of which we were a part of, we, we were involved, whether it's did a lot of music or and then to being, uh, you know, bridesmaid, groomsmen. And then I was even the best man of my brother's wedding. My brother got married six weeks before I did. So that was a little family chaos and, you know, planning. And, uh, <clears throat> but it was beautiful. Uh, but with each wedding we went to, it was like, oh, finally one day they'll finally say Mr. and Mrs. Kyle Nelson you know and finally one day that'll be us being able to cut the cake and shove it in each other's face and you know just one day finally it's going to be us it was so anticipation was rising just with each wedding especially as we had to help kind of plan and provide sources for those weddings you're just like man can it just be ours and uh finally it came I just want to throw that out there today and I just I would love to know what Jesus was thinking as he strolled this wedding feast I mean he had to know that I love seeing you guys have a happy wedding feast today but oh my goodness I cannot wait until my wedding with you guys because it's going to be a feast and a celebration that's going to be literally out of this world and so I just love the thought of picturing Jesus having a great time walking through this wedding and just putting it all together of, man, what is just only beginning here this day in Canaan and Galilee. And these weddings lasted about a week, okay? Um, <clears throat> and so a week-long wedding is, calls for a lot of food and a lot of drinks and so forth. And they drank wine. And wine was the wine the psalmist referred to as it makes the heart of men glad okay it was it was healthy and, and good but it was a social norm okay and so for this week party the, the the festival ran short of wine and so we'll see in verse three and it says when the wine was gone Jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine so Mary approaches Jesus to tell him hey we have a situation here there's a problem the wine's about to run out and she would do this because, A, she's close with the family, and now she's worried about the family because it would have been very socially embarrassing to run out of wine and to run out of food. I mean, weddings are, dare I say, horrible today with, I mean, all the pressure of all the bells and whistles you got to have and everything. Well, not much has really changed. I mean, back then it was a week long, and, hey, you better be providing a feast all week and wine. So it would have been socially um, just embarrassing and <clears throat> and so Mary approaches Jesus about this and for this unnamed little family in Cana a, a need arose Mary sought Jesus to help fix it but as we see Jesus finally starts to do what he always does 
And he hears a deeper need of humanity. And we'll see what he does with this. He goes on in verse 4 and he replies. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. I got a feeling back in high school had I told mom, woman, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) I might have had a little rosy cheeks, uh, you know, after that, that comment. Uh, just that phrase always cracks me up, dear woman. Uh, but woman, again, was a title of respect back in the day. Um, and today it might not be, I, I don't know. But, and so that's what Jesus is doing. He's not being a complete smart aleck. Uh, however, Jesus um, pretty much seems to be as if he's kind of refusing his mother's wish almost. I mean, he's like, why do you involve me? And it's because we're starting to see that Jesus is slowly becoming more concerned with his father's will than his mother's wishes okay he's going to become consumed with his father's will not to dismiss his mother's wishes but to be more concerned with his father's will and in verse 5 his mother said to uh, the servants do whatever he tells you so Mary goes ahead and shows faith that Jesus is going to do something he's going to provide something as she commands the servants to obey him Um, Jesus will go ahead and fulfill the wish like I said however he's doing it on his own terms in his own ways and for his own agenda and so the million dollar question you know what does he do in verse 6 here we go here's where it just gets so fascinating nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons these six stone jars They were nearby, and they were used for Jews to ceremonially clean themselves, okay? What would happen is Jews, every day, the the people would become defiled. They'd become tainted, unclean, uh, spoiled in just the circumstances of everyday life, just like you and I do. I mean, it doesn't take long to be watching TV, see something that's not good for your eyesight, and then your mind starts to wander off, and then, oh, whoops, well, I'm thinking of things I shouldn't think about or, or computers or it's just easy to become tainted through the course of everyday life, like it or not. I mean, we're just surrounded by sin. And so <clears throat> every day as these people became tainted by sin, they would need to cleanse themselves. They would do that by going to these stone jars filled with water, <laughs> dipping their hands into it. And it was cleansing time of the sins that they have committed or whether they knew it or not, all the sins that, that we do every day. So also this water was used by for the, the utensils. I mean, you got a week-long party, you got to wash some dishes and stuff. So they're stick, sticking all the dirt and yuck into this water as, as they clean dishes and so forth for the party. And so, of course, a, a large amount of water was required for, for a feast like this. And let's go on to verse 7. It's still up there. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then in verse 8, he says, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Master of the banquet is the wedding planner. Uh, is basically the person employed to make all the arrangements, serve as manager, okay? And so they did so. And in verse 9, it says, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine he did not realize where it had come from and though the servants who had drawn the water knew 
Then he called the bridegroom aside, and in verse 10 it says, And everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, we're talking about the Creator. When the Creator makes something, as we see in Genesis, it says it's good. And so if the Creator makes it, it's going to be perfected, really. Best they have ever had. And I would testify that Jesus a lot of times does things that way. Um, And then in verse 11, it says this. It says, This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. He revealed his glory, and it put his faith in him. I want to ask you today, what in the world would you do if you were given miraculous power (laughs) I mean what would you do with it set up a shop you know 8 to 5 come by I'll do whatever miracle you want you know or would you really save the earth and all its problems or you know just what would you do it's so interesting as we start to dive in and and really kind of recap this story now and zoom in and, and just find out the heart of Jesus Christ you see Jesus had spent 40 days in the wilderness before he even launched his ministry, before this first miracle. And, and in 40 days in the wilderness, he, he was led by the Spirit into that wilderness where he was denying himself. I mean, he fasted for 40 days. Uh, that, that would definitely make you tired and hungry and, and weak, right? Well, this, the, the evil one, Satan, was allowed to tempt him in every possible situation he wanted to. And so Jesus Christ was faced with many temptations yet he never ever used his miraculous powers to do anything he could have easily turned the stone into bread and fed himself what have been wrong with that he's still out in the wilderness all alone but Jesus says no I'm not going to use miraculous power for my own benefit and now we we come to this little first miracle and I mean is that it? I mean, what happened in the first miracle? I mean, we can all say now that the first miracle of Jesus Christ, he turned water into wine for a little unnamed family in the town of Cana. I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's neat that he would do that for maybe a close friend or relative, pro- provide something for him. But as we see in every other situation of Jesus throughout the rest of the New Testament, there's always a way, way deeper meaning to everything that he does and a greater significance that's just shouting out loud when you resurface it, when you go look and and you surface over the story again. I mean, if he has miraculous power, a miracle, what's a miracle? It goes against the laws of nature, right? I mean, that's a miracle. That's not supposed to happen. How did you do that? He could have made wine out of anything, right? I mean, chair, whatever, snapped his finger, voila, wine. Or, I mean, they already did have wine, and the wine was held in something. Why didn't he just go right back to the canisters where the wine was and and make more wine? Because it's absolutely beautiful. Our God is awesome God, and he wants to make it very clear from his first miracle what the rest of his ministry and what his whole heart is all about. And he decides, oh, hey, over there, nearby, stood six stone jars used for ceremonial washing sins. He says, yeah, go over there, get that. The disciples and servants had 
They, they had to have known Jesus. That's, that's associated with sin and shame. That's, that's where you go cleanse yourself. You, you can't be bringing anything good out of that, you know? He says, no, fill them up and draw some water out. It's amazing. Jesus, from the very beginning, he says, no, I want these six stone jars where you guys associate sin and shame with, where anybody would look at that and be like, oh yeah, hey, you need to cleanse yourself today? Hey, there it is over there. Like, everybody would associate this with cleansing of sin and shame and uncleanliness. So Jesus, right from the get, from, right from the get-go, he, he goes over here, says, here, from all the sin and shame you want to wash your hands clean of, I want to bring something perfected, and I want to bring sweet tasting wine from it a perfect symbolism perfect symbolism today guys don't don't miss it that jesus christ indeed is going to be the lamb that takes away all the sins of the world i love the phrase that the gospel writer used it says jesus told them to fill the stone jars and then they what they do they filled it to the brim i love it i love it it's like it's almost like hey imagine all the sin and shame i mean fill it to the brim fill all the all the dirt and nasty stuff of our lives all the things we so badly want to wash our hands of and we need to wash our hands of i mean you just fill it to the brim you put anything and everything in that that you want to and let me take it and filling it to the brim i just got to think man that's like all sin for all people for all nations for all time fill it to the brim jesus christ is making clear that i will be able to take what people associate with sin and shame i'll be able to take it all i'll be able to come over here nail it to the cross and do away with it and when the blood spills forth out of my own flesh come and taste and see that i am good i mean it won't be sweet tasting wine but it'll be amazing grace and unfailing love and he is purpose his purpose it's to instantly, from the very, very first miracle we read, hey, what you associate with sin and nastiness, I can go in there, I can tangle with it, and I can, I can destroy it, and I can bring perfection, redemption, salvation, new life to what is dead. It's beautiful. I need you to repeat it again with me. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of His heart through all generations. Stand firm. Stand firm. That means it can't bend. It's not going to break. It's not going to fail. It's not going to soften. It stands firm forever. And the purpose of his heart, heart, I mean, that's, that's the source of who we are. I mean, your heart is just who you are. It's the passion. It's the life of you. It's, it's what you live for, right? What's in your heart. The purposes of his heart go on for all generations well what is it yeah jesus christ is beginning to reveal it but it was revealed long before this if we go back and look in genesis what do we see the very very first story adam and eve sin right we we're probably familiar with this story they did what they shouldn't have done and they sinned and sin entered into the world and what did they what did god have to do god entered that and he provided a sacrifice. He, he provided the first sacrifice, animal. Got the skin off the animal to clothe them, to cover them. You see, Adam and Eve, when they, were, <clears throat> when they took the bite, they became sinful, right? And so then they become shame-filled. And 
so now they need covering and so God does that but what's so fascinating is verses just before that I feel like I think a lot of times we just overlook is Adam and Eve had already clothed themselves Adam and Eve as soon as after the fall they went and it says they they took fig leaves and sewed them together and provided clothing for themselves well if they provided clothing for themselves then if I can ask God what are you doing why are you coming and redoing what they've already done they've already covered it right a couple things we can grasp from that is that you and I like Adam and Eve our natural tendency when we fall and we sin and we are filled with shame we try to sew fig leaves together and cover it and we try to do it on our own and we try to say oh man this isn't good uh, I got to fix this somehow. So we take more leaves and we sew them together and we, we cover our unrighteousness. We try to sweep it under and act like, no, it's okay. I can't see anything anymore, so it's okay. We play mind games. Nope, it's all okay. But what did Adam and Eve do when God came? They hid. If, if they're hiding when God came looking for them, that means although they covered themselves, they were still filled with shame. And so God's clearly saying, listen, Adam and Eve, for all people, for all time, listen up. You can't cover yourself. You can't cover your unrighteousness. It's, I, I see your heart. I see what you're trying to do. But you will never, ever be able to cover what you have fallen and what you have done. It's only by what I will permit and what I will allow and what I will sacrifice that I will make the way to restore my relationship with you. Therefore... Get rid of the fig leaves and let me take this animal skin and appropriately cover you. As in the future we will see in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And so he from the, again, the beginning is making clear that hey, it's by me. I have got to cover all your unrighteousness. Now listen, again, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purpose of his heart through all generations just as we see it revealed in God's first story of Genesis so finally did Jesus Christ come to this earth and walk on this walk on this soil and what does he do his very first miracle is completely echoing the same thing listen people I know you want to come wash your hands every day and and, and cleanse yourself I'm here to tell you you can't wash your hands hard enough you, you can't wash your hands and totally be satisfied because every day you keep coming back and cleansing your hands every day and now, now this is the sixth time you've come today and you've cleansed your hands again. Listen, you can't wash your hands hard enough. It's going to have to be a cleansing by my blood that will cover you for all time is what Jesus' mission was. And I love it. That, that, that's his purpose. Well, and bringing people to Jesus is our purpose here at this church. And that is exactly why. We, we want to serve no other goal, no other vision than to that. Because Jesus clearly makes it. He says this, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father wearing fig leaves. No one comes to the Father after washing your hands in stone jars. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus Christ. Listen, people. Terre Haute needs to hear this. 
And here's why. It's because, like I said, our natural tendency is going to be like Adam and Eve, where we are going to want to sew fig leaves together and cover up anything that we do, that we ought not do. Hey, it happened after the fall. They sinned, so do we. And now they try to cover stuff up, so do we. We aren't fooling anybody, okay? But here's the thing. A lot of us, too, need to wash our hands of some stuff. See, I think a lot of us, probably, if we're honest with ourselves, will be like, man, you know, I wish I never would have signed to do such a sleazy business deal. Or I wish I, I never would have touched him. Why did I ever think touching her would be a good idea? Why did I ever buy this? Why did I ever promote this with my hands? Why did I ever do that? Oh, I wish I could wash my hands of that past stain and regret. I, I, that's what we're dealing with this morning. And Jesus is making it clear. Fill it to the brim, baby. <laughs> bring, bring it all and fill it to the brim and let me take it and let me bring perfection and redemption to it. People of Terre Haute are being robbed of life because the power of sin and shame, man, it just burdens people. And, and whether they know it's sin and shame, it's what it is. And, and, and I think it just, there's no drive, there's, there's no hope because people have just been burdened by, man, something's not right and I'm burdened and I just have no desire to do anything. I just don't feel good they need to know that it's nothing that they will ever be able to do. They won't be able to do anything to, to claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a free gift. And so I do ask, I do ask if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, it's just a free gift of salvation. I mean, he's just saying, hey, my blood is ever flowing and it's for all people for all time. And every day you choose not to accept it, you're that's what you're doing. You're choosing not to have eternal life and a, and a cleansing and a renewing of mind and heart from all the weight of sin and shame. But home folk, I just, I can't bear the thought that there are you in this room that I know or that I don't know that are bearing way too much sin and shame even after you have accepted the truth of Jesus Christ, you still hold on to things and you're allowing weight to be upon your soul that needs not to be there. It, you've got to stop it. Stop it. Do not think it's not taken care of. Quit trying to sew fig leaves together. Quit trying to sing Amazing Grace, but then come over here and be like, man, I just feel so guilty about this. Man, how do I cover it up and all that? Listen, home folk, we're going to sing a song and Jesus conquered the grave, right? Let him conquer the grave. I mean, if people are being defeated by sin and shame in Terre Haute, or if people are being defeated by sin and shame who know Jesus Christ, we have got a, a problem, okay? Sin and shame was defeated on the cross, and it was buried in the grave, and Jesus rose from the grave and conquered it. And so I know it's hard. Believe me, there's been a few things in my past that I just wish so bad I could let go of, I know I'm forgiven for, but I just want to like say, I want to keep going back and, and fix it and say, man, I wish I never had done this. 
just stop it. The blood of Jesus Christ is ever cleansing. And you'll never be able to wash your hands hard enough. So stop trying. Uh-uh. Just if you need to come forward for anything this morning, I just ask that you would as we just sing these next couple songs and just worship Jesus Christ for who He is and what He has done. Really lift your voices loud and and proclaim these next couple songs. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I want to give you praise for you are the everlasting God. You never grow weak. You never grow weary. And you never tire. But you're the defender of the weak. And you are quick and mighty to save. And you have provided the sacrifice for all times that will be the true cleansing. Father, forgive us for our such natural tendencies to take everything into our own hands and try to fix it. Thank you so much for providing the way, a new way, that only by you can we be saved through Jesus Christ. Thank you for conquering the grave. And it's all because of Jesus this morning we are free and we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.